Have you ever noticed that uh, the control room in a spaceship in movies is located where? It's always right kind of in the middle of the spaceship, like the round rotunda of the Starship Enterprise. The center of the castle is the throne room. The center of the court where the ball is where the ball is jumped and the game begins. The center is the person on the line that starts every NFL play. That word center. Central, of course, is a word playing off that word. Central street or central park or central planning. Being in the middle of it all. The center. Being recognized, maybe. Being the center of attention. Some of us would say we don't like that. But deep down, I think there's some part of us that wants to be the center of attention, but we feel so vulnerable when that is, we steer it away. We like to be talked about, to be recognized. We love being in positions of power or influence. If you get to the center, then you can reach out to the margins. But the goal is always to get into the center. Now, the Bible tells a different story, if you think about it. Yes, in the creative narrative of God, God is described being in the center of all the creating, in the center of the universe. But when it comes to him revealing himself and dealing with mankind, he seems to do so not from the center, but from the margins of the center. The biblical examples of this are too numerous to mention, but let me name a few. God chooses a marginal people, Israel, to spread his hope to the whole world. He calls Abraham out of Ur. Ur was a marginal place. He calls Jacob at a place that is so marginal that it didn't even have a name at a time and at a stage where he himself is a cast out, a marginal kind of figure. He sends Jonah to what Jonah thought was a marginal place. He works through Ruth, an immigrant, a woman on the margins of society. Jesus' story doesn't start, as we've been saying in this sermon series, in Jerusalem at the center. And this is the part we've been discussing, the places of the incarnation of God. Nazareth, Cephas, a nowhere place. Bethlehem is considered the armpit of the region. And it only ends in Jerusalem, where Jesus, by the way, got condemned and rejected by those in the sinner, and only to be crucified outside the city gates. You see, God in his actions on earth doesn't seem to be as much about into the sinner as we are, or at least his trajectory seems to be preferably from the margins to the sinner rather than the other way around. And maybe if we follow him, it implies that the story of our lives takes a similar trajectory. Today, we find ourselves in the fields where the shepherds lived year-round. It, fa- it might be my favorite place and people in the Christian Christmas narrative because the shepherds lived in the margins where I believe all of us live in one way or another. And so a, couple, a few things today from this text. First, he comes, Jesus comes, to the least expected people. He comes to shepherds. Now, of course, the Bible is full of references to shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and were all shepherds. David was a shepherd boy. But over the course of time, in the scriptures, the job of shepherd was given to lower and lower classes of people. And at the time of Jesus, the shepherd, though mainstream, was lower class. They were outcast in some sense, on the low end of the blue-collar working scale. 
In fact, the rabbis placed a ban on them. They were barred from worshiping in the temple. They were banned from testifying in court. They were known for being dirty nomads, tending to sheep that didn't belong to them, hired hands. Now, I don't necessarily want us to try to think who that might be today, but instead to acknowledge that the shepherds were not people of great power or respect. They had no position in the center of their society or world. And yet, this is who God visits by the angels in the story of the birth of Jesus. These unexpected people. Not the culture makers, not the movers and the shakers, but the hired hands without position or even place. No home. They're nomads. The birth of Jesus is announced to such as these, not to Herod, not to the chief priest, not to the scribes, but to shepherds. People without any props in their life. No way to prop them up. There's no external packaging to make them look better than they are. They are people in the margins. Second, he enters the least expected of places. The shepherds are keeping watch in the fields, a lambing season. And not to burst any bubbles here, this probably means that the birth of Jesus took place in the spring or the summer, not the winter. So December 25th, probably not the actual birthday of our Lord. But in this nowhere place, the announcement of the good news comes. It isn't heralded at the center. It isn't heralded in the temple. That would have been shocking to anyone for the Messiah to not show up at the temple, but in the fields where the shepherds in the dark are keeping watch by night, the hinterlands. I know many of you camp in this room and spend time out there in the country in the dark. It's a place to go, but not necessarily a place to live. There, there's this fascination with people, in fact, who choose to live out in the hinterlands, the marginal places. Why would you live out on the edges when you can live in the center? Why would you uh, do that, go to that place without fine dining, fast food, Starbucks, Wi-Fi? It amazes and confounds us. If you hang out with Paul, and you know Paul's story, right? Paul grew up off the grid. Now, off the grid was off a highway going through a mountain range, but it is a nowhere place. My dad called me this week and was amazed that it's actually named on the map. Paul, I don't know if you know that. He was telling me about the, he found the artist's cabin, I think is what it's called, right? And he was amazed by that, that it was actually on the map. But that's the hinterlands. And when we watched like these documentaries or shows about people who live out there, we're like, man, why would you choose to do that? Now, there are many who live this way in our, in our world, outside of the center, not by their own choice, right? They didn't choose to live in the margins, but this is where they have to reside. It's the only place they can reside. They're often forgotten and overlooked among us. They have no standing or place. They have no home. They do jobs we don't want to do. They do it with little recognition. These are the shepherds, and this is the fields, the Judean countryside, the place in between, the flyover place, the drive-through place, the walk-around place. And the good news first is announced here to them. It's counterintuitive. 
the glory of the Lord, we're told in verse 9, shines around them. The doxa, the glory, the shekinah comes down from heaven to earth here amongst humble shepherds in a dark and dank hillside. And to them, he brings the least expected message. The shepherds are unprepared, right? The shining, bright glory of God. How should such a presence be borne by unhallowed men? And it isn't one angel that comes, but a host. A myriad of heavenly hosts, Luke says, actually shines around them, and they are full of great fear, we are told. Fear not is the first line from the angel. Like, this is really closing counters kind of stuff. The darkness enveloped with light. Angels, a myriad, declaring the glory of God. It's heart attack kind of stuff. Too scared to grab a phone and snap a selfie kind of stuff. And then the unexpected ones in an unexpected place receive unexpected news. Verse 11, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. First, this day, the present fulfillment of something promised long ago. Don't miss this. Centuries of darkness now see a great light. And who sees it first but the shepherds? Israel has been in hundreds of years of exile, followed by a return of a remnant to a home that's now occupied. And for 400 years, the voice of the Lord has been silent. Today is born to you. Millennia since the promise made to Adam and Eve about a serpent crusher, and Abraham, a promised child, and Noah, a receiver of the bow of God, and David, a king who will reign forever and ever. This promise is announced today, here, in the margins, to a marginal people. Now notice the terms Luke says. He says he will be called, he is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Three messianic terms for the very first time all brought together. Savior, the one who will deliver you from your enemies. Anointed one, the Christ, the ultimate deliverer of his people, the one that's been promised of long ago, conjoined to the sent one. He is sent for you and the Lord, the King, the one. This is the good news of great joy. And who is it to, Luke says, but to all people. The message comes to shepherds on the backside of nowhere doing a job that people despise, but also need emphatically punctuates the point. How do we know it's for all people and not just for the religious elites or the cultural creators or the wealthy or the powerful? Because it starts here and it's announced that the good news is for all people. And this is the sign, the angel says, you will Find him, Jesus, as an infant, a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. What a sign for shepherds. Luke here uses the medical term for swathing, wrapping someone in strips of cloth. This was performed for newborns to help their limbs grow straight. But it's also a sign of Jesus' identity, his poverty, both in human terms and in heavenly ones, the God of of the universe in the strips of cloth lying in a feeding trough, in the basement room. There was no guest room, we're told, no provincial quarters, so the stable cave. This is what Deacon asked me this week. He, He had a question for me, and 
Danette asked him what the question was. You, I, you can't answer it, Mom, because you're not a pastor. So my teacher said that, that Jesus was born in, in, in a cave, not a stable. Of course, tradition says stable, but in, ancient, in, in, in Jerusalem at this time, the stable would have been located in the basement under the rock. It is a stable basement, cave, all true, right? There was no guest room. And in this stable cave, in the lowest room, by the way, the lowest room of the house, that's where Jesus was born. Surprising place. Next to animals who feed and go to the bathroom, that's where Jesus was born. This is the place of incarnation. This is the place that the angels tell the shepherds, you're going to find this Savior, Lord, anointed one of God. You're going to find him here. This is the place to find the king. And with the announcement of that sign, an eruption of praise, verses 13 and 14, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Now notice the con the way these things are juxtaposed. Glory to God in the highest, but yet where is this God? In the lowest place. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This word used for heavenly host is often used in the scriptures to describe an army, but this army of angels, rather than declare war, declares peace. Friends, Jesus is born to die, and he was born for you. It is believed that these particular shepherds watched flocks somewhere between Bethlehem, the town of Jesus' birth, and Jerusalem, the city of his execution. And according to the Mishnah, which was the written version of the oral tradition of the rabbis, these particular flocks were likely the sheep that were kept for temple sacrifice. Each year, the high priest would pronounce the atonement of sins when lambs would be sacrificed. Trumpets would play, and people would know that their sins were forgiven. Only this night, the music was played in fields rather than the temple because the angels came to announce something. It wasn't merely to tell the shepherds that Jesus was born. It was also to announce that the flocks that these shepherds are caring for had been replaced by the one true and final sacrifice, by Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. They're announcing Jesus' birth, but they're also celebrating his death. And the shepherds are invited to join the cosmic chorus of men and angels glorifying God for what he is going to do. So the shepherds go with haste. They find, just as the angels announced, Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. No angels hovering, no harps playing. Just a man and a young woman and a baby and an undisclosed number of motley shepherds. There's no recorded conversation, just the after effects. The shepherds have been transformed by this, these two events, by the seeing and hearing of the good news of the angels and then going and confirming the good news, and the birth of Jesus. They are transformed into evangelists. And they make widely known the saying which is told to them concerning the child. And all who were told it by these shepherds marveled at the news. What a story, right? We're told Mary keeps these things 
pondering him in the heart, meditating on all these things, comparing what is happening to what, she is, what has been foretold about the child to whom she has given birth, in wonder about the way God intends to keep his promises to his people. So this morning, three quick responses. First, Jesus seeks out those on the mar- margins, and that's you. Jesus will tell a parable about a shepherd who leaves the 99 for the one that is lost. And the implication is that Jesus is always concerned with the particular experience of the lost sheep. In other words, Jesus is always seeking the outcast, the one on the margins. Now, this is surely true, right? We see it in Jesus' ministry. The places he goes, the ones he visits, they exist largely on the mar- margins of Israelite society. And the good news works this way, almost like the way yeast is kneaded into bread from the outside in. But I think it's easy to assume that I am one of the 99 sitting safely on the hillside with the shepherd whom he leaves to go after the lost one. Connor Gwynn says it like this, One pervasive misconception in Christianity is that once you are baptized, converted, and born again, the gospel moves on to some new outcast or sinner. Following this often unconscious line of thinking, Christians can default to the assumption that we are all set since we are all in the pews. We know the stories. We've prayed the prayers. We are in. We end up painting a picture. I am not that bad. I am not that lost. I am doing all right. The lost sheep is some other sheep. The trouble is the gospel never speaks in general terms, nor is the truth of salvation some hypothetical category of person. The narrative Luke tells about the shepherds reminds us of this. God will do whatever it takes to find the lost one. And the hard thing for us to think is that we are the lost ones. The lesson in the parable of the lost sheep is that God will do whatever it takes to find that lost one. Throughout his ministry, Jesus reveals the mythical order to none other than you and me. The hard thing to accept for many Christians, especially lifelong believers, is that you are still a lost one. In Jesus' time, those with religious, ethnic privilege could not imagine that they were in the wrong, but they were no better than whitewashed tombs, Jesus said. So Jesus went first to those on the margins as a way of turning the whole game of righteousness on its head. Those on the margins were fully aware of their need for a Savior. Not because they were the only ones in need, but because they had no illusions about their status. They were on the bottom with eyes wide open. They were sick and knew they needed a doctor. Christian anthropology makes it clear that all of us are sick. All of us are at the bottom of the well. We can fool ourselves into thinking otherwise, but in those dark morning hours, When our illusions fall away, we know where we truly stand. And the truth of the gospel is that Jesus would have emptied the glories of heaven and earth to come and die for you if you were the only human. And the truth of the parable of the lost sheep is that it is about you, yes, you. And when Jesus said it is finished from the cross, he was talking about you, yes, you and your sins, 
And the good news is first and foremost for me, yes, even me, and for you, yes, even you. And when you hear Jesus speaking to the lost, the broken, the outcast, the sinner, the question is, can you hear him speaking to you? Can you fight your urge to identify out of the need for a savior? The good news is good news because it is about you and your unique experience, and the God who comes into that place and incarnates himself to save you. And the good news is it's good at all times, in all places, to all people, because it is about a God that pursues you and pours it out for you, yes, you. The shepherds in Jesus' day wore sheepskin coats, and on the inner lining of those coats was a large pocket that was used for carrying weak and wounded lambs. The good news is that you are that lost sheep. You are the one that the shepherd set out to find. And friend, you are the one that Jesus takes and holds in his inner pocket close to himself. No matter who you are or where you came from, No matter what your life has looked like up to this point or what your life will become, no matter whether you think you need a Savior or not, you are the one that Jesus has come to rescue. So, remember, you are one on the margins, and you are one that needs Jesus. Second, we too announce the gospel to those on the margins. Like we as a church are called to go to the nowhere places. What are the nowhere places here? Like we can go macro and say our city, or we can go micro and say those places in our neighborhood. Where and who occupies those places? And what might it look like for us to proclaim the good news to all people? People who maybe in this room don't have status. People maybe out there who don't have status. How can we be a people who are called to go out to those places, to those who are in the margin, and declare the only place that they have status is in Jesus? Jesus alone gives them status, place, identity, no matter what the world or what we in here might think about them. And what do we declare? We declare the same thing that was declared to the shepherds, that Jesus is a savior, that he alone can deliver you, that Jesus is the Christ. He can do it because he was the sinless lamb of God. He was anointed to do this work, and he is the Lord, God in the flesh. And notice how that good news works. The shepherds then tell, the people marvel, and the shepherds return, we're told at the end of the passage, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to him. That is the the mission of Christ's church. We are sent out to the marginal places to declare the good news of God because we too have been saved in the marginal places. That is the story. That is how it works. So today we recognize that we are born into the margins and God is sending us to those same margins, declaring that God is the Savior, the Lord, and the Christ. Third, this morning, join with Mary and ponder the wonder of this. Colossians 1.26 says, This message, this mystery, hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. Friends, like we are those saints who live on the backside of the story. This has been unveiled for us. 
we see or have the ability to see backwards and see how Christ is the fulfillment of all these things. It's been revealed to us. Ponder the mystery with wonder of this like Mary did. Ponder in your hearts all the ways and the types that Jesus is in the Old Testament. Ponder the ways and the types that Jesus is to you existentially, personally, all the ways that he saves you and delivers you and is delivering you. Ponder those things as revealed ones. I want to end with this from St. Ambrose. He writes this, He was a baby, a child, so that you may become a complete mature person. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes so you might be freed from the bonds of death. He was in a manger so you may be on the altar. He came to earth so that you may be in the stars. He had no place in the inn so that you may have in heaven many mansions. He being rich became poor for your sakes that through his poverty you might become rich. And he adds touchingly, you see that he is in swaddling clothes. You do not, need, you do not see that he is in heaven. You hear the cries of an infant, but you do not hear the low, lowing of an ox recognizing its master. For the ox knows his owner, and the ass his master's crib. Friends, do you know your owner and your master's crib? You were born in the margins, and God saved you in that place. So go to the margins and announce the ever-loving, saving news of our God. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us. Help us to ponder the wonder. God, that we would humble ourselves and recognize our humble call. That your church, um, born on the outside, brought to the inside, so that others on the outside may be brought to the inside. Convict us of the ways that we forget that. Remind us of the story, our story, where it begins, in a manger. And let us live from that place, we pray. We ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.